Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he was, he was preaching, and he said some pretty radical things that people largely misinterpreted. But, you know, one of them, he was talking about how the, the temple was to be destroyed and, and Jerusalem was to be destroyed. And, and his disciples, who had a, a privileged seat at the table, of them it says, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries. And they got to pull aside with Jesus in this intentional space. And, uh, and, and, and such was the case in this where they were like, Jesus, can you tell us this? When will be the time? Actually, I'll just read it. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 says, tell us when will these things, ha- when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Has anybody ever heard anything about the end times? Yeah. Have you heard a lot about the end times? Yeah. Are you sick and tired of hearing about the end times? <laughs> yeah, our, it's, it's super prevalent in our culture, but what, what follows is the, the answer from Jesus, I think, ends up being the most concise and like linear, like sequential list of events I think that we have in all of the New Testament of coming out of the mouth of Jesus himself saying, these things will happen. This is Matthew chapter 24 that you see all those events unfolded in. And and I've gone through, I've, you know, written down all of the different areas that coincide with the book of Revelation. And I've gone through, I've just, I've done all those kinds of things. (laughs) And Pastor Todd last week kind of introduced this topic. He did a a great job actually of of hitting some of the things in Matthew 24, some of the things that we discovered. Uh, But more importantly, he was asking the question, are you prepared? Are you prepared for what's to come? Are you prepared for the end times? Are you prepared for the things that we see written in scripture, especially Matthew chapter 24 around this time? Now, if I ask, are you tired of this topic, largely because it seems like there are so many that are out there who have used this as their entire ministry focus, and that's fine. That's, that's fine to do that. That's not necessarily a problem, but there are many that have done that. And with that, there are many predictions that have come out. Even just a couple of years ago, I remember driving in Kansas City, coming across billboards that were up, and I found out later they were, re- I say resurrected, erected all over the nation, you know, billboards that claimed to know the day and the time that Jesus Christ would return. How many of you know Jesus is coming back? Right? How many of you know he said we wouldn't know when? Okay, uh, but the, lots of people have, have gotten into the weeds on this subject and they have uh, really made it their life's aim to know everything about the book of Revelation and how that corresponds with Daniel and, and how, what, how that corresponds with Thessalonians and all the things that Jesus said. And they come up with these timelines and predictions and we think Jesus is coming here and now we see Israel as a state here and all these things are happening. And so how many of you know the second coming of Jesus is eminent? and it's going to happen tomorrow. But that's the conclusion, and that's been the conclusion of of many generations now. Many generations, there have been people who have uh, actually changed the course of their life based on this idea that the return of Jesus Christ was going to happen tomorrow. I, I think it was the 70s, I remember people talking about, like they so believed that Jesus was going to come back any day 
that half of them didn't even go to college. Why would you go to college? That would be ridiculous. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. That would be an utter waste of time and money. And so they changed the whole course of their life. Well, I, you know, I, help me out. For the 70s, what, 50 years ago? Yeah, most of those people that I know who have told me those stories regret the decision because in all these 50 years, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but Jesus hasn't come back yet. Right? And, and we can get so, di- so distracted, so caught in the weeds of these things. The point, I guess, would say this, that we get our eyes ultimately off of Jesus. We all right? Make no mistake about it. Our end times view absolutely 100% impacts the way that we walk and we live our lives now. I, I remember many years ago under Mao and China, the, the Baptist missionaries had done such a tremendous job actually converting the Chinese to Christianity. But then Mao came like a it almost like an end times figure straight out of the book of Revelation and began to, to, to amass such an onslaught of persecution against them. But because the Baptists had believed in a pre-tribulation rapture theory, they thought, well, these guys must have been wrong because this is tribulation right now that we're experiencing. And unfortunately, many of those Chinese actually recanted and gave up their faith in Christ in order to go back into communism and all the other stuff. How many of you know your end times view makes a difference on what you live and believe today? Right? I, I, I've heard of different people over the years who have had thoughts about things like, well, if, if the world is going to, to hell in a handbasket, then like, if it's going to happen, if it's written in the book, then I don't have any responsibility and, and they get into this kind of bunker mentality where like, let's just hunker down and wait for Jesus to come fix all this stuff. You know, and so with that mentality, there would be no reason to get involved in politics. Well, why would you? The Antichrist is going to come and there's going to be a whole one world system and he's going to destroy everything. So everything that I could possibly put my energies towards now would be worthless. So why would I do that? Why would I invest in that way? And, you know, it would be silly for me to, you know, plant trees and curb mining practices and other sort of environmental things. I mean, who cares about plastic in the ocean if we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth? How many of you know your end times view impacts the decisions that you make today? Right? And so it is imperative that we have a right view of the end times. Uh, I would not ever in a million years ascribe to a bunker mentality that hunkers down and waits for Jesus to come fix it all. Right? So the question then is this, what view is correct? And, and, and I, I, the only reason she's allowed to say that here out loud is because it's the same view that I have. And Ori and I are always right about these things. You know, when, when I was in seminary, I, I was actually, they forced us by servitude and grades and then flogged us and beat us if we didn't perform properly. But they forced us into researching all of the various rapture theories and end time scenarios and studying out all the scripture. Uh, And we had to defend all of the positions. And then we had to do a thesis on our position based on all of our research. Make no mistake about it. I made some conclusions during that period of my life. You know, but out of everything that I studied, there was one view that I deemed to be more biblical than everything else that I had studied. 
you know. And it was actually presented to me by the dean and the president of the seminary that I went to, uh, and it was called pan-millennialism. And it's, it just, it, to me, it, it really stood out because these guys said, well, there's a lot of theories. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I, I read a lot of stuff in the book of Revelation. But as far as we know, it's all going to pan out in the end because Jesus is still on the throne. Obviously a joke. <laughs> you know, but I do ascribe to that as my, end, as my end times theory. It is the right perspective. I want to talk to you just a little bit about that today. How many of you know Jesus is going to get his way? Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still coming back. There's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible about all of that. There's a lot of stuff in the middle. But I guarantee you this, it'll all pan out in the end, don't you think? Here's the three primary reasons that I'm a pan-millennialist. Number one, there are an awful lot of people who are way smarter than me. And they're incredibly compelling on end times doctrine, right? And, and none of them are in agreement. <laughs> Go, you, get, you pick out five different people right now. Some of them are doing charts and theories and timelines and blood moons and, you know, <laughs> all this different stuff, right? Like, and, and, and this guy is just looking at Israel and this guy is looking at other stuff and melding Daniel in and they all have a theory. Uh, it's pre-trib, post-trib, this trib, it's that, it's whatever. We're in the millennium now. No, the millennium's to come. There's just so much stuff about it. And there are people that are amazing and they all disagree. <laughs> the, the, the second reason is this. I have to look at them so that I don't lie to you. Oh, I got, that was my number two. The first, number one was this. There are an awful lot of smart and compelling people who have already been proven wrong. <laughs> They've already been proven wrong. So that's the first thing. Lots of amazing people. You're just like, wow, that's really compelling. That's, that's amazing. I never put that together in the scripture. And time goes on and you're wrong. Right? The number two was that there are lots of smart and compelling people and none of them are in agreement with one another. And the last thing is this. I believe that Jesus seems to put a different emphasis on it to what I hear most end times preachers. You know that the book of Revelation, it says of itself, it testifies of itself that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And yet, I don't know the last time I ever heard an end times preacher frame it that way. I think that we have made it a, a revelation of the Antichrist. We've made it a, an, a revelation of the tribulation that's to come. We've made it a lot of stuff, but we've not made it the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God itself testifies that that is, in fact, what it is. I would submit to you that if we've gotten our eyes on all the other stuff, we have gotten off track. You know, the, the Bible admonishes us to keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. The finisher part means it's all going to pan out in the end. How many pan millennials did I just win in here? <laughs> right? And again, Todd did such a, a great job of introducing this. This is going to be his message regurgitated. I apologize for that in advance. I, I wrote like 18 pages and realized, well, that's probably too much for a Sunday morning. And realized that maybe I had a few things I needed to say on the subject. The question that he presented was this. How do we prepare? How do we prepare? This is the end times, folks. You're living in it. What do we do? These are the questions that he posed last week. I think, for one, that they're really good questions. In fact, I think they're the right questions. How do we prepare? What do we do? 
good news is, immediately on the heels of Jesus introducing the most concise and linear end times event scenario that I've ever seen, he then immediately tells us the answer to the question we seek. It's right there in, it's right there in chapter 24 chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew, which is where we're going to live today. I want to start Matthew 24, verse 44. Listen to this. He starts it out like this. He says, for this reason, you also must be ready. Isn't that the question we're trying to answer? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. For, when is, uh, when, uh, for who is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them food in the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. This is my go-to end time scripture. You want to know what I believe? It's summed up right here, and I think it ought to be your go-to end time scripture. Well, what's, what's Jesus saying here? Right? Uh, in essence, he's saying don't get distracted. Don't get yourself in the weeds of endless genealogies and endless charts and endless timelines and endless phenomena in the earth. Don't get distracted by all of that stuff that's out there. There's a lot of stuff. Theories about the Antichrist. Don't get yourself all in a frizzy about what it's going to be like and how hard it's going to be in the end times. Don't get distracted. That's what he's trying to tell us. Don't get distracted by all of these things such that you stop doing what I have specifically specifically called you to do. That's what it's talking about. Blessed is the faithful slave found doing what? Found doing precisely what I called you to do. See, your job isn't to figure all of this stuff out. I figure it's going to pan out in the end. Your job is to keep your eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of your faith. He's going to work it all out. He's going to work it for good. I don't need to figure it all out. And scholars before me have proven we're not going to figure it all out. Blessed is the one who knows his calling and is executing that when I return. What does that mean? That means when the Antichrist rears his ugly head, what are you supposed to be doing? You're calling. You know, when the banks go sideways and you lose all your money in the stock market and everything just looks terrible and there's this elusive mark of the beast and they've tried to pin you down and they have, they're persecuting you as a Christian with your buying and selling. By the way, did you see the news on the federal banks, what the government was doing on the tag words? If you'd bought a Bible in the last year, if you had you know, uttered the name Trump, all of that, you're like under investigation now. <laughs> so make no mistake about it. Let the persecution begin. You know, if you didn't see it coming, there it is for you. But when these things begin to unfold, you know, when, when, the, when they take all of your money away, when they've put some sort of a chip in your credit card and it's the only way to buy and sell, if you're a Christian, you can't do it. What are you supposed to do? Oh, pull our hair out and go bald and gray and like, get a bunker and a bunch of water and bullets. No, you continue to do your calling. That's what it says. It doesn't matter who the Antichrist is. It doesn't matter what that season of my life is going to look like. What matters is that I'm faithful when he comes back. What matters is that I've kept my eyes fixed 100% on him and I didn't turn to the left or to the right. What mattered is that I go, I know what you've said to me and come hell or high water, I will fulfill my destiny before you. This honestly is what it looks like to have a life laid down. My eyes are fixed on you. I'm not going to get distracted by all of these other things. 
I'm not going to make them my focus. I'm going to make you my focus. (laughs) This is the moral to the story. This is the answer to the question, what shall we do? How do we prepare? Are we doing all right? I guess the question is, what has he called you to do? (laughs) Then that's what you need to be doing right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait until you have enough education. You know, don't wait till you're smart enough. Don't wait till you have enough money in the bank. You need to do what you're called to do today. And you need to do it and not be distracted. Because how many of you know, even though the hailstones aren't falling from heaven and the rivers aren't turning to blood and all the other, there's plenty of distractions out there that are trying to rob and steal me from my destiny and my calling. Am I right? Don't get distracted, people. Don't get distracted. Here's a question that I want you to... I have two questions I want you to ask yourselves. Is what I'm studying, number one, drawing me closer to Jesus? This will be your litmus test. Are the things that are consuming me, maybe for some of you, that's politics. You know, I know personally I had to step out of some of that stuff because when I was engaged in that, my my mother-in-law used to say, garbage in, garbage out, Sean. Bless her heart. But it's true, isn't it? What you meditate on eventually comes out of your mouth and I was offending people from the stage because of, I believe, like Joe Hunter. (laughs) Sorry, let me say it. I'm just teasing a little bit. Not really. (laughs) You know, so I had to step out of that because the stuff that was consuming me in this area, trying to be educated and up to date on all the stuff, you know, ended up affecting my view of life and the way I was doing things. We can just as easily get so consumed about all the other stuff that we likewise get distracted from that which we are called to. And one of the questions is, with what you are presently consuming, is it drawing you closer to Jesus or not? The second question is this, if, is what you're consuming, is what you're studying, is what you're going after causing you to look more like Jesus or not? It's a re- similar and related question, but both of them ultimately aim us right back to the plumb line of the Lord and to the things that actually matter. How many of you know, at the end of the day, God's not going to give me a quiz on how I voted, <laughs> you know? It's not going to give me a a quiz on, you know, how much of the book of Revelation I memorized. He's going to be talking to me about how much I look like Jesus. All right? This is our litmus test. These are the questions that we ask. Right? I'm going to stand before the Lord and He's going to say, but were you faithful with what I gave you? What did you do with what I put in your hands? How well did you love? Especially your enemies. How many of you know you're supposed to love your enemies? I wish he hadn't put it in there. You know, I wish it was like, and draw your sword on the enemy. You know what I mean? And take them like the crusaders. I can identify with that, you know? Convert or die, scum. (laughs) It doesn't say that though. How, how well did you love your enemies when I stand before him? These are the things that I'm going to be given an account for. How, how well did I steward and love my family? 
Or was I willing to lay my life down as a father for my wife and for my kids? And that, don't, ladies, you're not off the hook. You're called to do the same. Yeah? Like, these are the things that I get to stand and give an account for. Like, what did I do with the gifts that he gave to me? What did I do with the voice that he gave me? What, what did I do with the, with the brain that he gave me? What did I do with the work ethic that he built into my child rearing? You know, what, do I, what did I do with these things? This is what I'm going to stand before him and give an account on, not how much of the book of Revelation I had figured out and dismantled and dissected and charted up and... How well did you love? What did you do with your life? These are the questions that we give account for. Do not get distracted. So we're answering the question, how do I prepare? What do I do? The answers are simple. Stay the course. Stay the course. So you thought, you thought Christianity was complicated. Christianity is not complicated, folks. Like there isn't some like complicated equation that's like once I get mature, I apply this complicated, cool stuff. No, it's the same thing for everybody. All the way from the first save to Bill Johnson, who I personally hold in high esteem. You know, it's, it's the exact same prescription for all of us. You know, Bill doesn't get off the hook. He, he still has to wake up in the morning and pursue Jesus. He still has to wake up in the morning a little earlier than the rest when it's still quiet and the kids aren't up yet. And read his Bible and get into the presence of God and, and spend time in the place of worship. It's the same pattern. It's the same stuff for all of us. It really is the basic, simple stuff. So don't give up. Keep doing it. Increase. Get better at it. Be more intentional. More devoted. Don't give up. Don't get lazy. Pursue Christ. Pursue your calling. And fulfill the Great Commission. Fulfill the Great Commission. We said this here the other day. You know, just because you're not an evangelist doesn't get you off the hook for fulfilling the Great Commission. Amen. You know, what are we to do? What are we to do while we're waiting on the Lord's return? What are we to do to prepare? How are we, like, what are we supposed to devote our lives to? He's already told us, go and preach the gospel to all of creation. Go make disciples. That's why we have a discipleship-oriented group system called the Destiny Groups. Like, go and make disciples. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do while we're waiting on you. Go and fulfill the Great Commission. <laughs> you go and get people saved, healed, and delivered, and discipled up, and ready to do what you just did. We've got to get better at this. <laughs> I mean, if ever we thought that, like, if we're living our lives and we're thinking, that, what the... That Jesus, the return of Jesus is imminent. It's 100% going to happen in my generation. It's going to happen within the next 30 years. I, I guarantee it. Then you ought to be going and getting some people saved. Amen. Saved, healed, delivered, discipled, and telling them to get out there. Time is short. Go get some people in the boat. Right? Yeah. If you really believe that, and by the way, we don't know, then I think that ought to be your response. What do we do while we're waiting? We complete the Great Commission. It doesn't matter whether you're an evangelist or not. Your calling is different, but your commission is the same. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. Then Jesus, he goes on as he continues into three distinct parables. 
in this chapter as we roll into chapter 25. Three distinct parables, the first of which the parable of the virgins Pastor Todd uh, introduced to us last week. I'm going to re-earth some of those things even that he hit on. But three distinct parables. He starts out by saying, be faithful to your call. Now let me give you three distinct parables that you're going to find relatable that all answer the same questions. What am I to do? How am I to prepare for these end times? The first of which again is that of the virgins. Matthew 25 verse 1. We okay? Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who take their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Pastor Todd had kind of said, well, that's not, that's not a weird thing. You know, that's just the way. Listen, like, it's prophesying to you what ought to be. Young people, listen. This is prophesying to you the ways of God. That you should be a virgin when you get married. We all right? adults who have been divorced and now you're dating again, you do not have the excuse, oh, well, I've already done that once and now I can do whatever because I... No, that's absolutely idiotic. If you're thinking that way, you're believing lies and trying to justify a lifestyle that is not condoned in Scripture. If you have made an error in these ways, that's okay. We serve a gracious, compassionate, forgiving Father. Just repent and move in. He'll work with you. You are not disqualified. Are we okay? Don't mean to dimin- I didn't mean to diminish what Pastor Todd said. I just wanted to add to it. I hope that was clear. Verse 2. Five of them were foolish. This is talking about the, the brides, the virgins. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Verse 4. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Just so that we're clear and on the same page here, Jesus is the bridegroom. We are represented here as the bride. I know it's unusual language, but it is scriptural language, and that's what's implied here in this analogy. Are we good? There are two distinct groups. There's a a group of brides that have an abundance of oil, and there's a group of brides that have just enough. I think that's clear enough, right? Verse 5. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. You need to know, guys, that we are in the prophesied delay right now. You understand, this is 2,000 years ago that Jesus raised up under his own power out of the grave and then ultimately went to be at the right hand of the Father. 2,000 years, you and I, we have been in the end times. We are in the great delay that this promises, that this speaks of. Can you see that? Verse 6. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for the, our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, uh, No, uh, there won't be enough for us and for you. So instead, go to the dealers in the city and buy some for yourself. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Verse 11. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
So be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And I guess the question for us this morning is, do you have just enough or do you have an abundance this morning? It's not an exact fit, but, but I think if you give me a little liberty, you'll see the point. Years ago, I remember Chris Vallotton talking about his life. And he was saying that he was running at, at 95% of his capacity. And at 95% of his capacity, I mean, this guy, like, you think I'm a driver. <sighs> this guy's a scary driver. Like, he's intense. You know, and so he was kicking butt and taking names, man. He was so productive. Stuff was happening. The college was coming online. There was so much good happening. But then life crisis struck. Something happened in his family. And all of a sudden, he found out that he needed more than the 5% remaining in his tank to deal with it. Because again, he was running at 95% of capacity. All right? And the life scenario that struck wiped him out for a couple of years. Just completely ruined him. See, he didn't have enough in the tank to be able to deal with the twists and turns that life was going to throw at him. Do you have enough in the tank this morning? Do you have enough oil in your vehicle? Or as Pastor Misty preached many, years, uh, many weeks ago, perhaps, are there indicator lights going off on your dashboard, the dashboard of your life? Are there indicator lights that are saying, hey, you got a problem. You need to get that oil changed. You need to top her off. You need to fill. You need to change. Something's got to happen. You're running at 95%. You're 95% spent. Listen, if that's how you're living your life, then anything thrown at you will get you kicked off course and the enemy will pick you off. We have to live in such a way as this admonishes us to do that we actually have enough oil to be able to get through all of the stuff in life. So what does the oil represent then? I think we see it in verse 12. He says, this is Jesus saying, I do not know you. I do not know you. So what is the oil? An oil then is a reference to a relationship with Jesus. It's a reference like, I do not know you represents either a lack of oil or or then the opposite, the abundance of oil then is, I know you. Do you know Jesus? But what I mean is, like, do you know him? Is he your everything this morning? Are you, have you, we talked about a little bit, even as we were uh, uh, kind of opening service or whatever it was in this morning when I was monologuing. Yeah, oh, between the worship and the word. You know, it's like, like, have you gotten in and like you had just enough oil, you had just enough a taste to kind of get into life and you're just, you're just barely cruising along lukewarm. I'm telling you, it's talking about you. It's talking about you. You know, or have you said yes and you're like, with all I've got, Lord, with everything that's in me, I will serve you with all of my body, with all of my soul and with all of my strength. Because he says, you got to be hot right? Not lukewarm, but hot. A burning one for him. This is the oil that it's talking about. Have you devoted your life to Christ in such a way that you have an abundance of oil, such that the oil then girds about you and strengthens you and and creates endurance in your life for all of the stuff, the fiery stones and darts the enemy throws and circumstances of life and being fired from a job and my wife saying that thing that she shouldn't just to push my buttons and you know the kids being mouthy and it's like I can't seem to get them in line to save my life and all the stuff that happens. Right? Like, do you have enough oil to be able to endure those seasons and to do it 
with some gas in the tank, (laughs) to do it with success, to get to the other side. So I'm telling you, if you don't, you're in trouble. We're talking about the end times. How many of you know, if you've read the book, there's some stuff that's going to happen. What's your responsibility? Get the tank filled up. Don't wait till tomorrow. Well, that's, uh, you know, today I want to live for myself. Today I want to go do all of the, all of the stuff. I, don't, I feel like I'm missing out. No, the Bible actually specifically admonishes us. No, enough time has passed for you to accomplish all of those things that the heathen do. Now serve the Lord with all of your soul, mind, and strength. Go after him today while he can still be found. Like, if you don't approach it like this, you're going to be caught as one of the virgins having to go and buy oil, and you're going to miss it. The, the, the bus is going to take off without you. You're going to be like, hey, wait, what's going on? I thought I was... He's going to be like, I don't know you. Hey, this is the most serious stuff that we could ever talk to you about. You have to know him, and he has to know you. The word in the Hebrew is yada. It's, it's Adam, yada, his wife. It's this intimate knowing. This is the only kind of relationship that the Bible calls us to. An intimate knowing and being known by him. And this place of intentionality where I'm giving my all to serve him. How many of you know a relationship takes work? A relationship takes intentionality. Am I wrong? Is there anybody married in here? Does it take work? right? Do you have to deny yourself? Like, do you have to say no to your flesh? Do you have to step out of your comfort zone sometime? Like, sometimes do you have to say no to what I would really rather be doing in order to go serve, like do dishes and mow the lawn and do all the stuff, right? It takes work. Do I still have to write love notes 25 years later? Yes, guys. But you know what? Women, you're not off the hook. When was the last time you wrote a love note to your husband? Oh, you thought it was all the man's responsibility that you've been lied to. It takes two. (laughs) Right? But it takes intentionality, doesn't it? That's the point. It takes intentionality. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is exactly the same. It takes intentionality. It takes sacrifice. It takes denial of self. And this, folks, is how you get oil in your lamp. This is how you get to a point. Or one of the ways you get to the point. Or you are actually filled such that you can endure life's trials and what is to come in these end times. Practically speaking, you all need to get in your word. Oh, I thought it was going to be more complicated than that. No, it's not more complicated than that. I said it earlier, it is a simple pathway. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? Like, no, it can't be that light. No, it really is that light. You've got to get disciplined in your word for it's in the word that you come to a place where you understand his ways and you establish a foundation of core values in your life that literally guide you when things around you don't look like you think they're supposed to. This isn't what I was expecting, Lord, but I know that you're good. That's a core value. I know that you're like a father. You would never lead me to the lions. I know that you're the God who is for me and not against me. I know that you work everything, even nonsense that people throw at me for my good and for your glory, right? These are core values and they're only found in the word of God and the scripture. It's time to discipline up. It's time to stop making excuses. Blow the dust off that thing. Get into it whether you want to or not. 
Sometimes people are so starving, they don't even know they're hungry anymore. It's time for you to prime the pump by getting disciplined and getting into the Word. Well, that sounds like a work. I don't care what you call it. Just do it. Because it's the only place that we actually get the ammunition that we need to refute the lies of the enemy and to be able to endure the the tests of time. The book of Revelation over and over and over again, speaking of end times, let's go to the manual. It says over and over again that we must persevere all the way to the end while reading your Bible and getting it on the inside of you, meditating on it day and night such that it's the only thing that actually comes out of your mouth. That's Joshua chapter 1. Like That is the prescription for our success. That's how we navigate. That's how we get our oil filled up. But it's not just the Word of God. It's all of it. Guys, we've got to get ourselves committed to church again. They say the new, the new, the new, uh, uh, the new uh, member of a church, their attendance is once a month. That's fine. I'll come and pay my tokens. The lake, the lake is calling me, baby. You know, I know it's rainy outside today. No, no, it's all of the stuff. It's not just reading your word. It's getting engaged with the church. Why? Because that's where you build relationships that are yoked together with you for life and godliness. That's where you build and establish friendships, the kind of people that you can call when the bumps of life begin to happen. And I guarantee you, they will happen. So you need to get involved in church. You need to come with worship. Come with a heart of worship. Why? Because he's worthy, if nothing else. He's worthy. Every single time you come together and you open your mouth in this place of corporate worship, I'm guaranteeing you, if you are here and you are involved, something supernatural is happening in your life. It's time to engage. It's time to get involved. It's time to build those relationships. It's time to get disciplined. It's time to get in his presence until you begin to look and smell like him. You know, the apostles, the early disciples who were big fat nobodies when Jesus found them, they were from all varied trades, some despised, actually most of them I think despised, all the way from lowly fishermen to completely despised tax gatherers. They were so with Jesus that they got to a point where people went, wait, who are these people? Oh, those are the ones who have been with Jesus. That's your mandate. You need to so get in his presence that you are transformed into the likeness of him. It's like Esther soaking in the oils in preparation for her king. Who's the king? Jesus is the king. Who are we? We're the bride. We are the Esther who gets to soak in his presence until all of the wounds and calluses of life begin to melt off and the fragrance of Christ begins to draw everybody everywhere we go. That is our calling. This is what we're to do. We step into worship. I said that because he's worthy. We can't run in this life on just enough oil to get by. We have to have an abundance. Truth is, we have to have an abundance or we won't get by. (laughs) You know what else this tells us? And we're getting close to a close here, so calm down. You'll be all right. You know, this tells us that, that there are going to be times in your life where you're going to want to give up on Jesus. There are circumstances at different times that are going to come to you. And if they haven't come already, they will most certainly come the closer that we get to the finale. <laughs> 
there are circumstances, there are things that are going to happen to you where you're going to be like, I don't even know. I'm, I'm broke. I'm disgusted. I'm, like, I'm in unbelief. I don't have any faith. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand what I'm seeing. Those, excuse me, those kinds of trials are coming to you. Do we have enough oil in our tank for when they do? Have we established enough foundation in the Word to be able to endure those seasons? You can't put off your relationship with Jesus Christ till tomorrow. So what do we do to prepare? What do we do to navigate the end times? We close with these simple things. We make Jesus our everything. Make Jesus your everything. Guys, there's, there is no other option. I wish that you are either hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. God help us. We cannot be a lukewarm church. We cannot be those who don't make it till the end. We make Jesus our everything. That's how we get a storehouse of oil. We create a storehouse of oil with our intimacy by pursuing Him, by making Him our everything. And we're faithful and obedient to His Word and to His calling. For most of us, it's simple. You want to see your life transformed? Out of love, let the love of Christ compel you and pick one small thing that you can do better before Him and for His namesake. I'm going to lay down my pride and watch my tongue the next time my spouse pushes that button. I'm going to communicate with gentleness and directness, right? What's one thing that you can do? You know what? I'm going to start praying for my neighbor to come to know Jesus. They're lost and they need to know him. What is one small thing that you can do? Identify it. Go after it with intentionality. And stop making excuses. What are we do? What are we to do? What are we? How do? We, how are we going to navigate these end times? You make Jesus your all. There is no in between. There's nothing less that we can do. The only response that we can have is to lay down our lives for Him. We fulfill our calling. Blessed is the one found faithful to that which He called when I come. Another is He asks, "Will I find faith when I come?" Press into faith. Ask God, I need the gift of faith. What are we supposed to do to prepare? We make Jesus our everything. We say yes to the call of God. We put our foot on the gas. We stop being lazy. We stop being complacent. We get disciplined after the word. We get a part of a house like this where we can get grafted in to relationships and in the corporate expression of worship that transforms me. Make him your everything. That's how you get oil. That's how you survive the end times. Amen? Father, we thank you that it is easy. It is easy. It is simple. It's so simple that people think they have to complicate it. We simply say this morning, we just, we choose you. We choose you. We choose to love you more than we love ourselves. We choose to love you more than we love fear. We choose to love you more than we choose the gratifying of our flesh. We choose to intentionally pursue you, God. We receive the grace available to us this morning to make you our everything.
See, the truth is this parable teaches us that our relationship is going to cost us. That oil, it's going to cost us. Go to the store, go to the dealers, go buy oil. It's going to cost us. We have to be prepared. It's going to, it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us talent. It's going to cost us treasure. God, we receive your grace to be able to press in wholly and not reserve any portion. You are worthy of these lives laid down. We give them to you this morning. In Jesus' name. If you're with us this morning and you're, you're listening to a message like this and you're just realizing by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you have not laid down your life like this. Like you have not crossed over. You, you Maybe at some point in your life, the word sprang up as the parable of the sower says. And, and there was some fruit that you saw, but you can be the one. You testify your life right now does not reflect something that has grown into an oak tree or something that's vibrant. Perhaps you're a child. You know, you still live with your parents and you've been riding on their coattails of faith and this morning you're ready to make a decision because listen you can't have somebody else's oil you got to have your own maybe you're a spouse and you have abdicated the role that you're supposed to fulfill in your own home and you've ridden on the faith and the relationship of your spouse you can't ride on somebody else's oil if you've never given your life to him you haven't known them in this way. We want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Uh, prayer ministry team, if you would come and make your way forward. These folks will be here to pray with you. Please don't let this moment pass. If you fit in those, obviously you don't need to come up here, but take time in your seats and forever all the rest of us be mindful of somebody maybe who has their head down, who's praying and just doing some business with Jesus. Otherwise, these guys will be available. They'll pray with you. They'll answer your questions. They will at least point you in the right direction. Father, I bless them in the mighty name of Jesus to be all that you have called and equipped them to be in this hour, to be the mighty overcomers, the persistent ones who make it to the end, to be the fiery ones, the fiery ones, not the complacent, you know, not the sleepy, but the fiery ones who take hell by storm and whose gates cannot stand against us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.